Hello everybody, welcome back to the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Samuel Seaman and Adam Harvey. I believe this is episode number 500, which means we've done something very special in order to celebrate it. We've gone to Carrow Road, we've watched a game of football and we've seen Norwich draw 1-1 with Wigan and we're going to analyse that for you. That's our uh, big special 500th episode surprise, um, so hopefully it works out okay. We've got plenty to discuss though, in all seriousness, a, a really frantic game the first game back at Carroll Road of the new championship season and uh, of course plenty on the transfer front to discuss as well um, Sam let's come to you first I mean as as we said it's, we're sat at Archant Towers um, about an hour hour and a half after the full time whistle at Carroll Road what, what are your reflections on on that game first and foremost but, but I, I guess more so the result from a Norwich City perspective well the result is very disappointing I don't think you can get get around that really from championship favourites at home to a club promoted from League One um, you can't really get away from a one-all draw being a, a negative result but I thought there were definitely signs of positivity there um, Max Allen's actually spoke about it following the game about how the team is pleased with the performance and I thought generally we were pretty pleased with, with how Norwich got on and um, it was the sort of football I've, I want to see and, and I prefer as a you know, a, a viewer to watch, um, and it was the first time under Dean Smith that I think we've really properly seen Norwich dominate possession and actually do it with intensity and do it with intent and a desire to to go and create chances. And I thought they actually did to to a certain extent. Um, we just discussed the number of shots that they've had from outside the box. What was it? Eleven? Was it? I think us? it was thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. So maybe not totally there with the chance creation, but the performance definitely felt like it was closer to, to where they want to be but yeah as you say the result although it's the, the second game of the season you know every game counts as much as any other and a one-all draw against um, a club that nobody is really expecting to be in and around the playoff fight come the end of the season it's never going to be good for a team that, that wants to be promoted I know it's 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 all about results at the minute Adam and uh, and that's football generally it's it's all about results but in, in the early part of the season we, we do place a, a it seems almost like an extra onus on performances than we do perhaps in, in, in later stages of the season I mean I've got some of the numbers in, in front of me here and Sam kind of referenced it possession 70% shots Norwich had 22 only 4 on target but as we've discussed 13 of those came from, from outside the area 9 corners um, an XG of, uh, of 1.62 so you basically round that up to, to what would be 2 Wigan um, 0.92 which was basically from the 2 chances that they created from Norwich errors it was an intense. It was it. It was um, quite a purposeful performance. It was an improved performance. Green shoots for you in terms of just the performance on on, on kind of merit. Yeah, I think particularly that second half. I think Norwich really came out and maybe took the game to Wigan. Obviously, they had to based on the the latter stages of that first half. Obviously, the first fifteen minutes, I felt Norwich were very much in control, creating chances, and really had Wigan on the back foot. But that sort of period sort of between sort of the 15th minute and I suppose when Wigan got the goal it just felt like Wigan maybe had that little bit of momentum on their side and obviously Crawls had to make quite a good save as well to probably deny the, the game from being 2-0 to, to Wigan at that point so um, yeah I feel like the second half particularly when they pushed McLean sort of back almost a little bit in the sense of he sort of dictated the tempo a little bit more from that midfield and I feel like the changes that Dean Smith made were quite proactive um, in the sense that Norwich then really took the game and the onus to try and to get the equaliser and then try and push for the winner. So um, definitely improvements, um, but I feel like they've got to obviously work on that sort of clinical nature in terms of chance creation and scoring their goal-scoring opportunities. Obviously not that they really created a 
a lot of sort of really clear-cut chances today, but obviously you look at that shots total and you feel like with that kind of output, Norwich really should be having more shots on target and, and therefore scoring more goals and, and probably putting Wigan to bed and, and getting three points. Yeah, Puki hit the bar. I think uh, Max Aarons had one in the first half that flashed across the face of goal. Uh, Marcelino Nunez had a shot that, that just flashed past the far post as well. Puki had a shot that went past the far post. All of this was in that kind of first half flurry in, in the opening 15 minutes, apart from the one that hit the bar that was in, in the second half. Um, so it, it does feel, Sam, even though, I mean, a lot of the conversations that kind of we've had this week and we've written about this week has been about what Norwich City have done from an attacking perspective. It does feel when you break down the game, you look at the statistics, we speak about kind of what we saw with our own eyes. It does feel like Norwich created the chances to win this game. It's maybe, as Adam alluded to there, perhaps a lack of ruthlessness when they got in those positions. Yeah, and I think it's it's also about the sort of the stage before the finish. It's not always about um, the actual shot. I think there's a lot of situations where Norwich were in and around the box and a lot of teams would have been able to create a simple tap in for Tamer Puki or something like that and the you know, to to use an example, Elno Hernandez was a player that impressed me and I think impressed a lot of Norwich fans um today, but he was sort of eight yards out on two occasions and on neither of those occasions did anything actually come of it or did did Norwich have a, a sort of clear sight of goal. I think Norwich have to be ruthless in, in that area when they actually get into the box finding the opportunity you know finding the space to just work at a shot I don't think they were particularly good at that the encouraging thing was that they were struggling to even sort of find space in the final third before and I thought they did better at that they they found players in the box more often than they have before um, they found space to cross a lot more than they have but it's just those those final touches in the penalty area that they have to improve upon and well, it's it's both boxes really, and we said that uh, a lot last season during Norwich's best performances when they weren't getting results. We would say better in both boxes, and and today it's not only at the attacking end; it's defensively. Once you make that one or two errors, you know, in the Premier League, let's be frank, they would have conceded three or four goals based just on individual errors. It's only because they were playing a team like Wigan that they didn't they didn't concede. More goals. I remember a time uh, Jakob Sorensen got dispossessed, and it was pretty much three on one. Pretty poor decision making from Will Keane, and, and they couldn't finish that off. And Norwich, as, as structurally sound as they were defensively, uh, I, I think when you make those sorts of errors, you're always leaving yourself open to to being in a bad position. And unfortunately, they did that one too many times today. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of come back to the goal they conceded, but it, it, the, that was kind of a theme of last season, wasn't it? Particularly towards the back end. A lot of goals they were conceding through individual errors and it's it's one of those as a coach is you can set the team up structurally, you can set them up in and out of possession, but what you can't really accommodate for is individual errors because, um, well, they're, 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 they're human beings, they make mistakes and, and that is probably the one aspect of football that even the, the very top coaches can't completely eradicate from their game. I guess from, from Dean Smith's perspective, it's about perhaps the frequency that they're happening and this of course isn't just over the, the two game spell it's, it's over what we saw at the back end of, of last season as well um, Adam if, if we start with we, we kind of break the game down in, in periods because for me there were three clear periods of the game There's, there was what I would label as the first block in terms of where it felt like Norwich were relentless. It was just a wave of yellow and green. They had possession, they had territory, they were carving out opportunities. The one thing that, that really lacked from that was, was was a goal. But in terms of general play, and given the conversations that everyone has had about Dean Smith and, and what a Dean Smith team looks like, 
this did feel like a major step in the in the direction in terms of how they started the contest. Yeah, I think particularly after last week's performance where they obviously got criticism for, for maybe lacking that sort of tempo and, and obviously they really struggled against a, a fairly physical Cardiff outfit and they really took the game to Wigan who obviously were a little bit similar in the sense they're very physical. Uh, you know what you're going to get from them. They're going to try and sit back and, and probably try and grind out a draw here and, and Norwich really took the game to them which I thought you know was very encouraging. Obviously the crowd got behind them and it really felt like the Barkley was trying to whip up and, and was sort of forced that ball into the back of the net and I feel like they're sort of dynamism maybe from Nunez was, was very positive very early on he sort of created that chance for Rashidza and a lot of positive signs from him early doors um, I think obviously that midfield is, is still very much lacking that athleticism that, that Dean Smith alluded to it in the fact that obviously brought in Isaac Hayden and Gabriel Sarah who obviously both uh, well Sarah's obviously made his debut in the end but obviously both not ready for starting action for, for Norwich City but because um, I feel like Sorensen may be a little bit lacklustre in that midfield obviously a few mistakes um, I just don't really feel like he maybe fits what Dean Smith's trying to do in the sense of pushing that ball forward um, quick a little bit of tempo and obviously he's not really that athletic um, and I felt like maybe once that substitution obviously happened and into I suppose that third period which we're soon going to talk about um, I feel like McLean probably created more and, and gave Norwich a, a sort of much superior um, tempo and sort of creating more opportunities then later on in the game yeah Sam that, that probably lends us nicely onto to this what I'm going to describe as block two of the game which was uh, obviously the mistake that led to, to Wigan's goal which was uh, Ben Gibson who let's let's be fair in terms of our analysis and say that he's, he's had a prolonged period on the on the treatment table there was definitely some rustiness we saw him at the end of the game basically signalling that he wanted to come off because of, of, uh, of a knock I presume um, but Max Aarons was, was already making his way round uh, to the tunnel because he'd um, taken a, a whack which I'm sure we're going to discuss in great detail in just a moment in time but from the moment James McLean's shot hit the back of the net to half time Norwich City well, it felt like a massive sucker punch not just for the atmosphere but for Norwich City's performance their, their head drop and we saw this quite a lot last season when they conceded the goal um, what I've often referred to as, uh, as the Norwich crumble where there's almost like this period where everyone just looks a bit confused everyone is feeling a little bit sorry for themselves and it affected their performance probably adversely. Yeah, I don't know when Dealey's going to add the Norwich crumble to her, her menu. but um, be, be flaky in the middle. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, yeah, I think we saw that a lot last season because, well, it was in a way it was a legitimate reaction, wasn't it? Because when Norwich went 1-0 down, they were the worst team in the league and they knew that it, it did mean they probably were going to lose. When you see that, against Wigan Athletic at home in the Championship, that's when you, you start to worry because you you know it looks like those mentality issues have sort of bled into the, to this season. And I suppose in a way you can't blame them. Um, they are a group that's well got used to, to losing games and where, where are they supposed to get this confidence from? Um, you know, Dean Smith was, was very open about the fact that he was happy with his squad. He didn't want to make too many changes when he spoke towards the end of last season. And with that, it's not only the technical abilities of the players that you have to keep around it's the mentality and the sort of overhang from the relegation and I think that's what we we experienced when we saw uh, Wigan score against Norwich was just that same familiar feeling of oh you know there it goes there's the goal um, that that Norwich are used to conceding and then just sort of tailing off in the game Um, it was it was worrying because the intensity that they displayed in the first sort of 15-20 minutes was was the opposite of what we're used to seeing recently and it felt like maybe those issues had started to recede a little bit and there'd been a freshness and an energy to the squad that we hadn't seen for a while 
so the fact that they took it as such a sucker punch was um, worrying. I think in that sense, Smith will be delighted that um, his side managed to get a goal back and, and obviously make it one all. And uh, we'll, we'll obviously come on to that that part of the the play. But I think had that not been the case and had this second period dragged out until the final whistle, there would have been serious concerns over. You know, are Norwich going to ever be able to come back from a one nil lead? And that a one nil um, tra- trailing one nil, sorry, um, because that was a real problem for them last season. I think it would have that those worries would have developed. So yeah, the fact that they got that goal is really important for their mentality um, going forward. But I, I can I can understand why they reacted in the way they did, given what they they're used to in recent times. Yeah, it was, it was like old wounds, wasn't it? You, you look at um, the team and beyond, again, we, we kind of had this debate last week, really, but beyond Marcelino Nunez, obviously you could probably make a take case for Todd Campwell as well, maybe not having some of the baggage because he was out on loan. Omar Bamadeli was, was obviously injured, but beyond that, that was a core of the side who were involved in that Premier League relegation, which is probably why it felt um, so fresh, I guess, but also for the supporters, I felt, because there was... Carrow Road was quite frustrated at at that point and understandably so because of the nature of Norwich's performance but it felt like a lot of it was because of what they'd seen last season they'd seen a team before who conceded a goal who went into their shells a little bit who crumbled um, and it it did kind of feel like a a sort of a continuation of of a theme really but fortunately Adam they came out in the second half I think in the opening 10 seconds Milo Rashica had a shot at at Ben Amos which he he, he saved pretty comfortably but it almost set the tone and kind of got everyone back up ready for it again and when the players responded the fans responded Um, what did you make of of kind of what I'm going to label as the third block that second half performance because in terms of pushing not just for an equaliser but also for a winning goal late on it felt like, beyond what Sam said and also Dean Smith felt, that they did, probably didn't create the quality of chances that he would want. But in terms of possession and territory and the chances they served up, they probably had enough in that second period to walk away with, with all three points. Yeah, they, they definitely should have won, theoretically should have won the game. Obviously, there's the decision, um, a few penalty decisions towards the end that, that looked like on the face of it based on Dean Smith's comments. Um, obviously, we can see there's a bit of a gash on Max Aaron's legs. So it looks like that probably should have uh, been a penalty. Um, it looks like it based off the replay and obviously the, the pictures that we've seen. So, But yeah, Norwich obviously maybe didn't, again, as you just sort of alluded to, they don't really create the chances that are clear-cut. But obviously, once uh, Aaron's gets that equaliser, I really felt that Carroll Road was... Maybe all the seats were kind of fans were back off their seats and, and really behind the team and, and that sort of atmosphere that we maybe haven't seen for a Carrow Road probably since pre-COVID really because last season was so dire and, and obviously most games Norwich were behind and maybe that atmosphere just got really, really flat. It just really sort of rejuvenated the, the players and I really felt like they went for it. Um, Ono Hernandez, I feel like that was a really inspired substitution. Obviously, maybe again lacking that little bit of quality in the final third to to sort of find the man in the box, but in terms of just he really gave Dariqra, uh, Dariqra, have you pronounced that, um, a full-back, um, a sort of bit of a headache in the way that he just kept taking the ball to him, getting to the byline and obviously trying to find his man in the box. So, um, yeah, it feels like that. if that's what Norwich City are going to be this season, then there might be a little bit of excitement because obviously a lot of fans are still sort of that Daniel Farker element that's sort of clouding over the Norwich City sort of Twitter space and social media space at the moment, obviously in the way that the football was so progressive and, and Norwich were... I suppose as fans, that's what you want to see. You want to see a team that's attacking and scoring goals. And maybe that's something that Dean Smith's sides haven't really had. But I feel like if Norwich can create those sort of levels of chances in terms of 
creation, but arguably better quality, then obviously we'll see more goals and, and that obviously is ultimately what you want to see as a football fan and hopefully Norwich can get more free points um, on the board this season if they continue to do that. Yeah, I actually felt Onel Hernandez probably um, personified Norwich a little bit in the sense he was energetic, he, he looked improved from the last time I saw him, but also probably lacked a little bit of quality in the final pass, which is probably something that, that you could say about Norwich City as well. But um, Dean Smith described him after the game as, as being the best trainer in the week, so um, and he feels he's, he's pushing himself in the right direction for a start. He's likely to get one against, uh, obviously, the club he was on loan at um, in midweek, uh, Birmingham City in the Cup. Uh, Sam, I... I really loathe to to make this conversation about officials and about referees, partly because I think a lot of the time it's quite boring. Um, But when there's an incident in the game of the magnitude of the one that we had today in terms of that challenge from Tom Naylor on Max Aarons in the box, um, which I have to say... um, I'm, I'm struggling to sum it up in a better way than Dean Smith did in terms of just felt absolutely ludicrous to me that that tackle, the force of the tackle, the height of the tackle, the way he goes in with his studs up, how on earth that isn't, how on earth Norwich City haven't been awarded a penalty off the back of that is um, is pretty mesmerising really for the wrong reasons and um, I think if that tackle's made anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul, it's definitely a, a yellow card, I think it's most likely a red card. I mean I've got the, the definition for for serious foul play in front of me here. Um, there's two parts to it. So the first part says a tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force um, must be sanctioned as serious foul play. Any player who lunges at... This is probably the more crucial bit in, in terms of today's incident. Any player who lunges at an opponent in challenging from the ball from the front, from the side or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. Noticing that definition, the phrase got the ball isn't part of it. It's completely irrelevant. doesn't matter. That's, that's a penalty, isn't it? And if, if it's not a penalty, um, I'm quite scared for what this season holds for Norwich City because we, we saw, I mean, you interviewed Max, Max Aarons afterwards. He had to go off because he, he, he had a gash on his knee. I mean, if that's not endangering the safety of an opponent, then I, I really don't know what is. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking when you were reading out that definition and um, I, I think I, I heard some pundit saying um, let's, let's name him because it was Don Goodman on Sky Sports <laughs> right it's, it's, it's nonsense what he says right let's be honest I, I think he described it as a coming together yeah he said uh, maybe the referee's seen it as a coming together because it's one of those where if you make that challenge you have to basically you have to end up doing that to Max Aaron's if you want to win the ball. Well, his argument was that there's nowhere that, that Tom Naylor could have put his leg. Yeah, basically. And what I would say to that is, don't don't make the tackle then. If if there's nothing you can do, but except, it also it also sh- sorry to interrupt again. It also shows he's not in control of that tackle. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, if you don't know where your leg's going to go, and the risk you take is that you cut Max Aaron's leg open. Um, you, well, you've got to be thinking that you can't go into that challenge, and that's the whole point behind red cards. Red cards aren't there, and as exciting as they are for us as media to talk about and for fans to watch and debate over, they're not there to create drama. They're there to stop people getting hurt. And uh, the the idea, long term, is that if you see enough players making tackles like that and getting red cards, you don't do what what the the Wigan player did today, and you don't make that challenge. Um, so I think, yeah, you're right, it sets a, a dangerous precedent. And it's just a shame because 
you know, as you said, we're 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 loath to talk about refereeing decisions instead of a football game, but the reality is the this this group of players spent you know five five days preparing for this football match, and they should have had a great much greater opportunity. They they earned a much greater opportunity to win the football match than they actually got. And it's it's just kind of frustrating when you know we spend the whole week building up to it, and, and Norwich fans spend the whole week looking forward to it. You know, same on the Wigan side as well. For somebody's poor decision to have such an enormous say compared to the actual footballing abilities of any of the players and the decision making of any of the players, I think is a a real shame. But we've all been we've all seen Championship refereeing before, and I think it's not not the first, and it certainly won't be the last. And we're probably going to be sat on this podcast three or four times at least between now and the end of the season talking about a, a refereeing decision and probably a poor refereeing decision that's changed the outcome of the game and that should never be the case. You know, This is a real high professional level um, and referees should never be the discussion point at that level um, and it's, a, it's probably a, a whole different podcast discussing how they can address those issues but I think it's clear to anyone that's had to watch a lot of that EFL refereeing that something needs to be done to to improve the the standard across the board really yeah and it's easy to say oh well just just put VAR in the championship and it'll be fine well we we already saw from the playoff final at the end of last season that's not the case when Huddersfield should have had two pretty stonewall penalties that weren't given with VAR in, in place particularly around what are largely considered subjective calls but I mean the fact that the referee Matthew Donoghue has such a great position of this and um it's basically looking at it square on. I, I don't really understand what he's seen or what he hasn't seen in order to not give that as a, as a penalty. Uh, and you know, also, I think it's worth saying, and we've already spoken about this in the opening twenty-two minutes of this podcast. It's not the reason why Norwich didn't win the game as well, and that's that's important to to say. We, we've kind of analysed maybe what their attacking play still lacked, even though it was probably improved, and that some of the quality of the chances they created weren't there. So. It, as Sam quite rightly says, it's not the fact, Adam, that um, this decision went against them that means they they haven't walked away with three points today. It's the fact that this foul, which it was, probably a red card in my opinion as well, um, certainly going by the, the, the definition of, uh, of the serious foul play law, um, probably robbed them of an opportunity that was just for them to win the game, which is probably the bigger point here. Yeah, I feel like obviously any team that you know has a decision that feels like that you know, it, it goes. It, well, it's gone against Norwich, and obviously, in the wider context of, of Norwich City and their season, obviously they are trying to get over that hangover from last season, and, and you just feel like they need that first three points on the board to maybe kickstart their season and really kick on. I feel like a lot of people probably in the media space, but also the fan base this week have probably been saying this is quite a big game. You know, there's obviously that little bit of expectation maybe that Norwich should be beating a team like Wigan and that's no disrespect to Wigan, but obviously they were a League One outfit last year that were playing the likes of Morecambe and Norwich were, you know, playing Manchester City and Liverpool. So it just felt like Norwich needed to get that win uh, and then maybe they obviously had that opportunity then in, in the week with the, the Cup game just to maybe get the likes of Gabriel Sarra some minutes and then really go to Hull sort of riding a, a bit of momentum and obviously a little bit of positivity back in the camp and it just feels like maybe that penalty decision obviously just getting a draw at home to Wigan has maybe sort of bled a bit of negativity back into the to the fan base so I feel like yeah it 
those levels of decisions need to be improved across the board. I mean, obviously every championship club is going to have some decisions go against them this season. Obviously it all levels itself out somehow or other over the course of the season. But it just feels like maybe at the end of the season, if, if Norwich miss out on something on a few points, then you look back on decisions like this still and you go, well, if that was given as a penalty, then this could have been the outcome. So... Yeah, it's just it's disappointing, and obviously we can't blame just that decision on Norwich not winning the game. They create, you know, had enough opportunities to to score more goals, and they obviously lacked that bit of quality in the final third. So that's you know, by no means is that you know the the, the only thing. But there's a lot of other questionable decisions in that game, let alone from the penalties from the referee. So um, yeah, it just needs to be improved. Yeah, so that's sort of someone knew it was our 500th podcast appearance because there, there seems to be an ice cream van outside. Either that or someone's got a very big, uh, what, what do you call them? They're like musical boxes, aren't they? The ones that you twist and they, uh, maybe, maybe it's just me. Um, but uh, I'll, read you, I'll, I'll read you some of Dean Smith, Smith's quotes on that. Um, you, can, you can watch uh, all of his reaction on, on our YouTube page. That's up there now. Uh, he said it was a scandalous decision and a scandalous tackle that should have resulted in a penalty and a red card. Max is okay, but he's got a gaping wound in his left uh, shin, which I think was slightly exaggerated. Um, but that tells you everything he then went on to say because um, it was put to him um, afterwards that, that Naylor got to the ball first he said it, it certainly was an excuse when I played if you went over the top even when you won the ball you were off I haven't seen uh, any of the other penalty calls back uh, neither have I at this stage but none, none of them really looked like they had any particular merit if I'm being honest um, but that was the one that, that his analyst was was keen to show him he then went on to, to add just finally um, uh, Again, I'm, I'm quoting him here. Why aren't referees mic'd up so we can get a breakdown of why they are making the decisions that they make? He's looking straight down the barrel of that one, and it worries me if he doesn't see that as a bad tackle. And uh, and I would concur. We live Norwich City. The builder. The passion. The drama. The last-minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Okay, well, I, I guess the, the other point to mention, Sam, from the game is uh, the, the very concerning sight that, that we had in the second half. It was pretty much in front of us where, where we sit in the press box of, uh, of Dimi Yanoulis, who went down um, just in front of the, the, the Wigan dugout. Um, it was after kind of a... This wasn't coming together, um, not someone trying to break someone's leg. Um, and he, he got his, his kind of trailing foot caught between the player whose name escapes me at this moment in time might have been Dariqua, um and the turf and it, it, his foot kind of drags it's really uncomfortable it goes in a, in a position in a position that feet shouldn't go in it's it's quite horrendous um, you could see how bad it was immediately he just burst out in tears um, he had to be administered with, with I'm sure there's probably doctors out there who will tell me that it wasn't gas and air but what, I, what looked like to me gas and air um, and his, his, his leg was, was kind of um, wrapped up in in these, I don't know what you described them as. Really, it was bright orange kind of padding, wasn't it? And he was then put on a stretcher and stretched off. Before we kind of talk about the incident, I think it's important to um, give credit to to Liam Richardson, the Wigan manager, who um, got play stopped pretty quickly, um, so he could he could receive treatment. And and of course we we wish Jimmy Yanoulis well. Um, but in, in terms of a footballing perspective, 
if, as we expect, this keeps him out for quite a prolonged period of time, and we hope, of course, that it doesn't. He's, he's, Dean Smith said after the game that he's got to go to hospital to, hospital to have an X-ray, which for me would immediately thinks break, which is a concern. Um, but he said it could be an X-ray or a scan. Um, but uh, the fact he has to go to hospital to get it assessed is is not looking particularly great. Um, what does this mean for Norwich from a footballing perspective? Because you knew, listen, Sam McCallum, who came on and uh, did okay in his cameo, um, quite different fullbacks. So, given what we've kind of spoken about stylistically and the way Norwich City attacked, does it change the way that Norwich City have to play or have to think about how they build play up down that left hand side if Dimi Yunulis is out for, for any prolonged period of time? Not really. I think McCallum is, is still one that likes to get forward his his attacking side is probably better than his defensive side and that's a similar situation to you know it's the the main problem for me well well the two problems really are the quality um you know I don't dislike Sam McCallum as a footballer by any any stretch but uh he's he's you know he's clearly not to the same level as a, a 7 million pound greek fullback um who's who's really impressed Norwich fans pretty much throughout his his career and also cover wise they don't have anything other than Sam McCallum really unless they want to include Sam Byram which well I, I'd suggest that was a stretch given his injury issues but Smith clearly believes he's an able deputy at right back otherwise they wouldn't have sent Ballymumba out um, out on loan so maybe they do see Byram as the as a genuinely reliable left back option and in that case they wouldn't need to dip into the transfer market but I'd be sceptical with that and, and I'd say if, if Yunulis is out for an extended period of time dipping into the transfer market most likely the loan market is, is probably something Norwich fans can, can expect um, but yeah I, I don't know if it, if it needs to if you'd need to change too much about the team's sort of structure they they have maybe slightly different skill sets but I think mentality wise um, there's, there's not much that McCallum would need to adapt to in order to to fill that that role that you know this does and that's that's a strength that that Norwich have in that area that they they don't necessarily have in other areas on the pitch for example if you look at that right back situation which I um spoke about Max Aaron's and Sam Byram are totally different fullbacks and in that situation if Aaron's was injured and you had to rely on Byram you would have to change that setup and and look for creativity from different areas because Byram isn't going to be getting into the box and looking to cross and link up with Tommy Pookie like uh, like like Aaron's does, but no at left back I think they're they're probably similarly minded enough and in a slightly less important position in with regards to the setup um, that they can probably not not change that too much to be honest. Great, that's all the left backs listening who have turned off now. Um, Adam, I'm, I'm going to come to you on, on Marcelino Nunez. It's it's uh, it was his Norwich City debut, but also been quite the week for him. He, he started it as a as a, a Catholic. You're going to have to remind me how to say this. A uh, Catholica. There we go. A Catholica player um, where he, he played in their their game Saturday, last Saturday night, wasn't it? UK time, about eleven o'clock. We were still on the road back from Cardiff at that point, but no one cares about that. Um, <laughs> He he ended it well Wednesday. He obviously after that game flew over to the UK to to kind of finalise his his move to Norwich. Uh, that was confirmed on Wednesday evening. Come Saturday, he's in the starting lineup, thrust into it really um, in a number ten position. Uh, Dean Smith described him as as the catalyst for that opening. What he felt was half an hour. I'd probably say twenty twenty five minutes. Um, but it did feel like there was kind of a fizzle, which perhaps was probably natural given the week he had. But how impressed? 
were you with him and I guess how much of a kind of insight into perhaps what we can expect from him in the weeks ahead did that performance offer? Yeah, I thought particularly that first 15-20 minute sort of opening period, I thought it was really impressive. Um, Dean Smith labelled him as a, a bundle of energy in the pre-match press conference uh, yesterday and I feel like that's pretty much hit the nail on the head, that's exactly what he was. Um, he's sort of a little bit dynamic, picks up the ball, always sort of looking forwards, which I think is maybe a criticism of some of the other Norwich midfielders of the past, someone like a, a Lays Malou maybe, who's a little bit sideways or, or backwards, I feel like Nunez was... Sort of, he's quite aware of where other players are on the pitch. I mean, sort of that run for Rashica, um to, to find him. Um, he looks like quite a creative, sort of got a bit of creative flair about him, which I suppose is natural being he's a South American. That's probably what you'd come to expect. And I feel like there's something really exciting there. I mean, the Norwich crowd seemed to, to get behind him. And, and there was a few periods where he lost the ball a bit cheaply. But I think obviously that's going to take time. He's obviously got the adaptation from coming from a, a very sort of possession-based um, sort of, I suppose, level in terms of the Chilean league to, to face in Wigan which um, is probably they're very notoriously um, a championship side in, in the fact they're quite big and physical so it's going to take a little bit of time to, to adapt for him um, but I think yeah once you maybe get him in that sort of team and, and settled I mean there's definitely sort of, I've sort of glimmers of you know positives from him and I feel like once you get him and maybe Gabriel Sara in that sort of team and Dean Smith maybe has those athletic midfielders that he's been sort of chiming on about now for sort of ever since he really came into the club I feel like um, you know then hopefully Norwich can create a lot more chances and that build up play from getting the ball from defence into those attacking areas will be much more quicker Um, and you know if he can continue to sort of create those sort of levels of chances and sort of maintain those levels of passing that we saw he has in his locker then um, yeah there's definitely a a player to work with there and obviously he's still only 22 as well so um, there's going to be a lot more progress in his Norwich City career as well and if they can really work on sort of his skills um, on the training pitch then I think he's only going to get better with time. There was a moment in the second half where I'm not sure if it was Tom Naylor or Max Power because they're both quite big um, but one of them he, he was trying to control the ball that was coming over his head and it was bouncing and he got completely sort of shoulder barged off it and at that point I thought yeah he's just understood what the championship's all about but Sam just just on Nunez um, from from your perspective what what did you make of his of his opening performance because there was a lot good faded out of it a little bit couple of cheap concessions but as, as a debut were you, were you impressed by him yeah I really liked his technique I thought he was very watchable and you know my sort of footballer and uh, yeah I thought he was pretty encouraging the the adaptability was something I was looking out for and I don't think he looked particularly out of out of place obviously Adam referenced that or you referenced that that scenario um and I think that was a sort of welcome to the championship moment. But he didn't have maybe as many of those as you'd you'd associate with somebody coming from a, a completely different league. But it is a, a tough league and um, there's actually a piece on the Pink and Plus app about the sort of tough upbringing that he's had and, and come through. And I wasn't particularly surprised to see him standing up to the physical battle a lot of the time, you know, to contrast that... Um, that sort of physical encounter with, with, I think, Max Power, there was a time when he actually charged back and halted a counter-attack um, and, and intercepted the ball from somebody much bigger. Well, but anyone from the Wigan team is <laughs> qualifies, really. Um, and I think there were, that was that was encouraging. And, and he he adapted better than I think most, most were and better than a lot of sort of South America, better than a lot of people thought somebody from South America would. Um, you know, I'm not going to compare him to to. Don't do that it. Man. That is so easy to do it. Don't do it. Don't tie yourself to it. Um, 
no, I, I, you know, I thought he does. He does look more like the sort of creative number ten type, and that that moment, that chipped ball through to Rashica, who then tried to lob the goalkeeper. Um, that was it was almost a relief for me to see that, to be honest, because they're so lacking in those sorts of players that can see those sorts of passes and and come up with those slightly alternative ideas. That um, yeah, I was I was really pleased to to actually see somebody try something like that, and I think he could be a, a big player for Norwich moving forward. Yeah, it's hard to, to put it into words, but sometimes um, when I'm watching a footballer and they do something I like or make a make a pass that I like, it's just I, I just go woof, you know. And it's hard to put that into what that represents in words. But there were a couple of times that ball over to Rashica. There was also another another lovely one which I think was to Yanulis yeah, when he switched yeah. the play. That that was a woof moment, and uh, yeah, hopefully he can he can continue to produce a few of those. But um, certainly encouraged by by him. We also saw Gabriel Sara probably. Uh, I, I think he came on with about well all of stoppage time, but but not much really to make any kind of real impact. He's obviously been out for a little bit of time as well, so um, he will have to get up to speed. I would expect him to be involved um, against uh, Birmingham in, in, in midweek. Um, probably no surprise really that, that Nunez was was ahead of him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he brings when when he does it. But really interesting to see the contrast. You didn't say his name. I'll, I'll say it. Emi Buendia when when he was at the club. Not for those reasons. I'm not making any comparisons. Don't worry. But when when he came came to the club the the bedding in period that he was afforded by Daniel Farker was probably a few months really I don't think it was really until November that we started to see him maybe slightly earlier um, but a lot of his appearances were off the bench he was kind of um, I don't know sort of gently pushed into it rather than fully thrust into it and, and it feels like that approach this time under Dean Smith is going to be completely different for the two South American guys who feel like they're going to be going to be thrown in um, what else do I want to mention? I, I do want to speak about Onel Hernandez uh, a little bit because we've kind of touched upon the, the positive cameo. There was a, a nice moment that, that people who weren't in the ground would have seen that he was warming up and he's obviously got his Norwich City tattoo on his left arm. He, he showed that to the, to the Barclay that got, and the snake pit obviously got a, a very good response. But he, he came on and, and, you know, like we've spoken about him, I've kind of said perhaps rather harshly that he, he for me, kind of epitomised Norwich's overall performance, energetic, but maybe that... that final pass wasn't quite there but that's what we've associated with Onel Hernandez since he's been at the club really so uh, and this is a big if because we've used this if a lot around Onel Hernandez but if he can get that last bit right then everyone knows what he's capable of particularly at this level it's quite some weapon to have for for Norwich City off the bench I think yeah particularly if you sort of look at that spell that he had at at Birmingham at the back end of last season they were very disappointed that they couldn't get him back in in some capacity whether that had been a a loan or a permanent move so I think especially when he's got that connection with the Norwich fans, which is so strong, obviously, you know, he's obviously got that tattoo and it was a great moment. And I really felt like actually that was almost one of the catalysts just to get the crowd back on side. And um, that kind of level of connection with a player, you know, that's going to only be encouraging if he can then produce the levels of output and actually contribute in terms of goals and assists for Norwich. Because, you know, ultimately that's been a criticism of a lot of wide players of Norwich City sort of in the past few seasons is... um, Maybe they've got that little bit of energetic spark. They maybe get bums off seats, but effectively when it comes to that sort of really crucial point where you're looking for that man in the box or, or maybe have getting that shot away, they maybe just haven't got that sort of clinical edge. So um, I feel if Dean Smith can sort of mould on a Hernandez and make him a, a you know a contributor in terms of goals and assists, then yeah, he's definitely someone that I wouldn't be surprised to see more in the starting eleven towards um, you know the further as we go on to the more games coming up in, in sort of these latter stages of August. Um, I think he'll definitely be more likely to be you know, there with a start than maybe what I'd have had sort of maybe a few weeks back where he still looked at the likes of um, 
you know, Jollis and that that were still on the books and you feel like maybe someone like that was maybe ahead of Hernandez. Obviously, you know, he was sent out on loan last season twice. So um, to come back and, and contribute would be, you know, a huge benefit to Norwich and you know if he can really kick on and, and take that momentum and you know obviously wants to play for Norwich we all know that you know he loves this area he loves his club so fingers crossed for him and um, you know for Dean Smith that they've got a player there that can contribute and you know towards hopefully some success. Yeah he's got an extra space on his tattoo at the bottom for for another year so it'd be good to get that fully filled in although I don't know if he needs to get an updated version because the badge cha- the badge has changed or not uh, I'm not sure my my only thing and I'm I'm being really uber critical and it's not a criticism of Onel Hernandez even though it might sound like it is I'm not quite sure what it says about Norwich City squad the fact that he has come back having been deemed previously not to have been good enough and looks so close to their starting 11 at the moment that's the only thing that I would say and it's probably not just him it's probably the same for Jordan Hugill and probably Danel Sonani as well um, so that's that's one to watch with interest um, Sam he's got lost a little bit but Norwich made a signing on Friday night um, they're four for the window uh, alone another midfielder Aaron Ramsey not that one um, joins from, from Aston Villa on loan uh, a player that, that Dean Smith knows well he spoke on, on Friday and we've spoken a lot not just probably boring people really not just today not just uh, in the pod last week not just throughout pre-season also last season as well about this lack of creativity point um, because of the departure of you know who um, what do you make of it because it's interesting he's a 19 year old he's played um, a couple of games in terms of senior level for Aston Villa I think one in the in the Carabao Cup against Barrow I'm not sure he's made too many of that he's, he's been on the bench a couple of times in the Premier League he was pushed up into the first team by Dean Smith when he was Aston Villa manager got a lot of exposure in, in pre-season last summer he spent the end of last season on loan at Cheltenham Town in, in, in League One between January and May. Um, obviously, we didn't see him close hand because we were too busy watching Norwich City's brilliant Premier League campaign. Um, but the, the reviews of that spell has been quite mixed. 14 appearances and, uh, and one goal. He's a, an England youth international. It's, it's, an interest, it's an interesting signing. And that's before we've kind of watched the lad play and can fully assess him. Yeah, there's a few factors that are, that are encouraging and a few that are quite worrying. Um you know, he's a player that Dean Smith is clearly, clearly trusts and spoke about being excited about. He spoke about him and him and um, Craig Shakespeare actually, sort of seeing a lot of potential in him. Um, the, but there's also these worries about sort of a lack of experience, and he's not had rave reviews for a spell at a club which failed to to achieve promotion from League One. So it feels quite strange that he would get a loan move right to the top of the championship and that's where Norwich want to be. Um, you know, The number of Aston Villa fans saying great move was was almost slightly worrying. When you sign a loan player, you almost want the, the fans of the, the parent club to sort of wonder why he's gone there because that would suggest he's, he's close to their, their sort of level and the fact that him going to Norwich is a surprise maybe isn't a good thing but on our team news live video earlier today I used the example of Christoph Zimmerman who uh, I don't think had played a, a game above um, the the regionalised fourth fourth division in Germany that level um, and Daniel Farker brought him in because he trusted him and he ended up being a very key player in a fantastic promotion for Norwich so you know there is evidence of coaches maybe seeing things at close quarters that we're unable to look at from stats or opinion of fans at clubs he's he's been at previously, and that's obviously the hope for for Norwich fans. I think in terms of the type of signing, it's encouraging. 
obviously they're, they're piling on the midfielders this summer, but not all of them are bona fide number tens. And, and Ramsey appears to be the you know the absolute epitome attacking midfielder. Um, not necessarily so concerned with the defensive nature. He wants to get into the box. He wants to make assists. And he wants to score goals. And, and Norwich need assists and goals from somewhere other than Tamer Pukki desperately and they have for some time so if he can help ease that burden it'll be fantastic but I do also totally understand concerns and I, I have some of my own to be honest Yeah I mean I, I did put the inexperienced point to Dean Smith in, in the press conference after the game to which he just replied uh, asked the Cheltenham manager he's referring to Michael Duff um, who's now at Barnsley <laughs> whether he would uh, whether he would wanted him back this season I think he made those quotes publicly saying he would um, because of what he saw in training um, and maybe this ability to do things that other players he had in his ranks couldn't and he was playing in a Cheltenham side that uh, I think it was his first ever season in the third tier that managed to survive which is a magnificent achievement from, from their standards but they were necessarily the prettiest to watch as they perhaps wouldn't be in their their circumstances so maybe there's an argument from his perspective that he was playing in a team that maybe didn't particularly suit him Um, what do you make of of this one Adam because as Sam said it's interesting to look at from the outside because of this this perceived jump that maybe he's taking Uh, he won the FA Youth Cup with Aston Villa I think Liam Bramley was who's of course first team coach at Norwich was part of the coaching staff Dean Smith clearly likes him Craig Shakespeare clearly likes him Norwich have a lot of players in that position. We saw Nunez there today. Torcamp will play there last weekend. Daniel Sanani in in that role. Um, not all, not all of them are going to be able to to play in the same team. It does feel like there's a lot of options for that area now, but it probably says maybe a lot about what Dean Smith perceives to be the lack of creativity. The fact that he's gone in and and signed a player that he knows and rates very highly from his former club. Yeah, I was actually looking at his uh, statistics last night. I was uh, making the graphics for our socials, and I, I went onto Y Scout uh, to look at his kind of his statistics across the board. And I think it's fifteen appearances for Cheltenham, just the one goal. But um, it was a really well taken goal against, I believe it was Bolton. Um, he really sort of beat quite a few men and, and sort of cut inside and put the ball in in the side of the net. Uh, I think it was the left hand side. So. Um, if you can sort of get that from him and, and put that into the championship, then there's definitely a player there. Um, I suppose different positions, but a little bit like when Ollie Skip came to Norwich, he was a bit of an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, never really played any senior football, and everyone was a bit like maybe when he sort of was in that starting eleven for that game at Huddersfield. We're like, we don't really know what to expect from this guy. But I think you could probably tell from the outset that there was a real talent in there, and you know, he sort of, I suppose Daniel Farker nurtured him over the course of the season to the point where he ended up being arguably, if it wasn't for you know, the quality of Wendy in the championship or, or Timmy Pukki in the championship, then he was a Norwich City player of the season candidate. So obviously very different players, very different styles, but I think the fact that Dean Smith knows him as well, um, has seen him and obviously knows there's let's face it, he's not going to be bringing him to the club if there's not something there that's championship worthy. So um hopefully that's a an added benefit. Um I suppose there's always the argument that's going to come from a lot of Norwich fans. Is it just a case of Dean Smith almost helping out Aston Villa? Obviously, we've seen the likes of Jollis been sent out on loan. Obviously, we've got Springer and Rowe, the Norwich City Academy products themselves. Um, obviously, Flynn Clark as well, who's been sent out to Walsall. And I suppose the argument is there that our Norwich may be stifling the progression of those younger talents that they have in their own academy to almost help out Aston Villa in, in terms of this kid who's a bit unknown. Um but ultimately, it's, to me, it's a bit of a risk-free signing. Obviously, he's coming on loan. He's not going to be on major wages or anything. It's not like Norwich have spent big on in terms of a loan fee either. Not for you know comparing it to the likes of a, a Gilmore last season, where you know there was obviously a lot of money attached to that deal. So um, 
fingers crossed he can produce um, obviously no doubt he'll get an opportunity in the cup this week and I believe his debut actually came in, in the Carabao Cup for Aston Villa against Barrow so um, it's a competition that he knows as well so um, the pressure will be off in that one as well so you know fingers crossed that he can produce something and Norwich have got another real sort of a creative attacking output there that you know they can you know benefit from um, going forwards in the season yeah, his uh, brother is Jacob Ramsey, who, who scored a, a very impressive goal at Carroll Road last year um, in Aston Villa's 2-0 win here, um, where half the Norwich team was out with COVID and the rest of it was, was pretty ill on the night, I think. So um, it, was, it was difficult to really to really judge anything into that. But uh, he kind of said in his quotes um, in, in the club, official media that, that he did um, last night, that he felt Dean Smith could... could almost emulate what he did in terms of Jacob's progression with him and and that I suppose is a positive sign. I think it's an interesting one you make about kind of the stifling of various players' progression because that's been something that Norwich City have been quite keen to avoid in the past. Um, for example, I, I know that there was a lot of frustration in hindsight about the Ben Marshall deal when they signed that, knowing that they had Max Aarons in the background waiting to come through and, and there's been a few kind of situations like that. So it, it's quite interesting that Dean Smith has obviously taken a judgment of what he has, both in terms of first team and young players, because he had a, a, a look at, at pretty much all of them in in pre season, and obviously felt that Jay, uh, Aaron Ramsey comes in at a higher level than what those guys are at, at the minute. That's very interesting in terms of judgment, and uh, we'll have to wait, obviously wait and see until we see him play whether that judgment is is the correct one. Or not um, worth saying as well, he's got quite the competition at Aston Villa in terms of those positions. Philip Coutinho, Emi Buendia, of course, um, just just two names there, but we could go on really in terms of Leon Bailey, etc. Um, just to, to close the pod really then, I thought we'd, we'd look ahead to Birmingham. Norwich obviously hosts them on, on Tuesday night in the cup tie that everyone is, is licking their lips, looking forward to. Absolutely, it's going to be quality, absolutely quality, isn't it? Um, uh, an all-championship affair. Uh, obviously, Shemuel Half Poeta won't play, uh, I, I presume. Anyway, no one's told me any differently, but that, that tends to be the rule with, with lone players. Um, who are you going to be looking for, Sam, in terms of, because we're, we're going to expect a heavily rotated Norwich team. Who are you going to be looking for in that team potentially to really I suppose make their case for a start what will be Hull next weekend it's difficult to say really because a lot of the the fringe players have now found themselves thrust into a, a situation where they sort of have to play you know when if Isaac Hayden was fit right now you'd be saying a similar situ- situation about uh, Jakob Sorensen you'd be saying Sam McCallum if Demetrius Unilis hadn't um, obviously suffered that injury today and it's quite difficult, so I think a lot of people will be looking forward to to seeing the signings. I think of the four, Ramsey certainly has the most to prove. Maybe not to Dean Smith, but to the outside, you know, outside the the Norwich bubble and outside, you know, internally at the club. I think he has the most to to prove. So I'll be, I'll be watching him with keen interest. I'm sure everybody um, of a yellow and green persuasion will be. Keenly watching Gabriel Sara, who we, you know you'd, you'd expect to feature, um, given he's not played a, a competitive match apart from ten minutes today since April, I don't think. So, yeah, it's going to be more those top end players who are going to be trying to bridge the gap between no football and and um, playing in the league than it is those sort of fringe players. Maybe Daniel Sonani. Um, they have, although we did say they found it easier to to get in and around the box today. They have only scored one goal. Um, in in two games and they have amassed an XG that's less than two um, so 
there is still space for improvement in the creative department and I think Sinani will will hope that he can add to that because with the number of names they've now added doesn't look like he's going to get too many opportunities if he gets it wrong so this could be this could be one of of not too many chances to prove that he's up to that level so I think it could be a big night for him um Angus Gunn can certainly put pressure on Tim Krull given the the two's varying performances over the last few months so um yeah there's a couple of names in there but I think uh, as boring as it is I'm going to be mainly looking out for those uh, sort of big name signings yeah Gabriel Sara I think the the interesting one from my perspective if he if he gets onto the pitch and and plays um Adam, we've done five hundred pods of this. Uh, of this not us, not not just us, because that would uh, that would be quite quite something. But um, as a show, this is now the five hundredth episode, um, which in cricketing terms means we have to lift a bat five times. I'm not sure what the podcast equivalent of that is. Um, possibly don't want to know either. Um, but it's quite. It's. I mean, doing this podcast is always quite interesting because um, we do we kind of do them in varying ways. So sometimes we'll come from Carrow Road. After a game, usually on a Saturday, uh, obviously today it was a lunchtime, but usually at three o'clock and we'll, we'll come and record the pod pretty pretty immediately afterwards. So there's an element of rawness to it. Um, for away games, we tend to push it into Sunday and, and kind of do it remotely. Um, I guess how, how interesting do you, do you find recording this pod more generally and, and, and kind of... I don't want to ask why it's been so successful because I feel like we're kind of beating ourselves up, really. Um, but... 500 I mean 500 episodes that's mad that is um pretty crazy I remember listening to sort of the early ones just as a a teenager um getting a little bit of Norwich City insight and here we are on the 500th episode and I'm sat here in the wonderful city of Norwich at Archant Towers um, in the Montserrat room in the Montserrat room of all places as well we even have an ice cream van in the background for most of this podcast um so it's been uh quite the day and quite the quite the podcast um 90 of this is usually waffle so i mean for most people that are listening um fair play to you that you listen to to us um particularly sort of in those difficult periods like last season i think you know i'm much more hopeful that i can be on more positive podcasts this year because last year some of them were were pretty tough i remember one come back from southampton away um a saturday afternoon we were me, you, Paddy and Dave were sat in the car outside Birch Hanger Services. We were, yeah. And I just think back to moments like that and think, this is what the podcast is all about. It's um, it's raw. It's, uh, you know, we're all, all of us sat in here are Norwich fans as well, so we're passionate about the club. So um, to talk about them and, and you know, just sort of dissect the, the little elements um, is, is really enjoyable. And the fact that we have, you know, thousands of people listen to us um, does blow my mind because... Uh, you know, it's just Norwich City Football Club at the end of the day. But um, yeah, thanks for, I suppose, everyone's continued support. And obviously, let's hope there's going to be another 500 going forward. Yes, absolutely. Um, Sam, just just to close, really, I mean, um, yeah, the same, really. Five, 500 pods is, is quite something. As, uh, as we said, we haven't been on, on all of them. Um, worth, obviously, crediting the people who have. Obviously, David Freezer, who's still at Archant in a different role. Michael Bailey, of course, who hosted it before that. We've we've had several others even even before that. Um it's it's really interesting to record, to to get to speak about Norwich City. Often it's quite cathartic, particularly last last season, I think we we found. But um and, and, and hopefully people still enjoy it, right? Which is which is why it's got to five hundred episodes. 
Yeah, I suppose so. That, that probably that joint pain element was probably uh, what what made it successful last season as well. Um, but no, I feel I feel quite bad sort of summing it up, given I've uh, I probably contributed to around one percent of the the podcasts generally. Um, but no, I always I always enjoyed it as a a listener. Um, always used to be a, a go to if I I needed something to to listen to long form. So um, no, it's, it's it's fantastic to be a part of, and it's quite weird in this job generally. Um, I don't think most people in their jobs go into something that they've consumed daily for for their lives. But um, for me, every time every time I write an article, it would have been me on the other end reading it, and it's the same with this podcast. Every time I I speak, um, it would have been me listening. I'd have been somebody else. So. In that sense, it's a bit annoying that it's taken away an, an hour's entertainment for me every week. I don't want to don't want to listen to my own voice as much as I wanted to to listen to uh, the rest of you. But um, no, I'm I'm very glad that people enjoy it, and um, obviously we we really appreciate appreciate the support as we do with all the content, not just the podcast. And um, yeah, as long as you keep enjoying it, we'll keep doing it. So um, yeah, looking forward to five hundred more. Absolutely, serenaded by an ice cream van as well uh, in the five. We we will do something at some point, I'm sure, to properly mark this. It's it's a little bit tough, as you can understand, in the in the cut and thrust of the the championship, um, where games are relentless. We see more of Dean Smith than we do our own families at, at stages, and that this is kind of the beginning of a period where we're about to pretty much between now and the end of August have games every Saturday or Friday, and then Tuesday. So um, it's it's going to be quite tough, but we we will try and do something. Uh, at some point to market, not exactly sure what that is, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure if this podcast is the equivalent of Tom Layla's tackle on Timu Puki, but we'll, we'll try and avoid that. Uh, anyway, that seems like a nice place to to end the show this week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening to the 499 podcasts that came before this. Of course, um, all of uh, all of the the content on this weekend's game is available pinkin.com and the Pinkham Plus app as well. You can get a free trial for that to unlock loads of exclusive content. Uh, if you go on pinkin.com, there should be a tab in the top left um, that says uh, Pinkham Plus. You can sign up for a free trial now to, to access all of that, not just written stuff as well. Sam does an excellent uh, tactics board video every week. Uh, Adam does a uh, does terrace talk every week where we get insight from, from opposition pa- uh, fans. There's plenty in there to indulge um, upon. Uh, obviously, as we embark into what is going to be a really heavy period of championship football, let it commence. Thank you very much. See you soon.